2: All right everybody, welcome to another week 5, heading to week 6 episode of the Huddle Flow podcast. I'm Steve weich with my guy Jim Trotter and Jim, what, an, what a what a crazy week. I and mean, we had the awful Dak injury. We had Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov get fired in Atlanta. 49ers, Jim. We're going to talk about this, but there's some there should be some concern there. We're also going to bring you guys Packers running back Aaron Jones. They had a bye this week, um, so we're going to get some insight from him on what's working with that offense that's leading the NFL and scoring. But Jim, we we can't get away from it. Um, this COVID game on Tuesday night. We had a double up last Monday because games had to be postponed they the nfl worked a schedule now that's like a rubik's cube uh just what about the the things we haven't missed any games so to speak but what about the way things now that we're this deep into the season we thought things were going to be okay they were they're trending better and all of a sudden we've got titans we've got patriots players we've got guys here and there and the nfl taking the steps it had to do to make sure games are played
3: yeah, Steve. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. This is um, this is all so confusing for me in terms of trying to keep up with what's going on that um, on some levels I just can't. You know, it just it just my my head is about to explode from all of this. And I think in some ways, and I won't speak for anyone else, I'll speak for myself. Maybe I was naive back during training camp when you saw the infection rates were so low that. I don't want to say you got um, a false sense of security, but I felt that guys were taking it serious, which they have, and that we were going to be able to get through a full season with maybe a hiccup here or there. Clearly, I don't believe that anymore. I think we're headed for a time where the league is going to have to go to an 18th week or something to deal with all of this because there are only so many buys available to make it work. And, you know, the thing that's unfortunate to me is how the actions of one team and how people knowingly violated the protocols and the ripple effect of that. And, you know, what gets me is that when the league put out the memo last week that this is serious and discipline could go as far as not only losing draft choices, but forfeiting games, And my feeling was at that time, if you forfeit a game, both teams lose out on their salary. And how is that fair to the other team that maybe has done everything right, has no positive tests, takes it seriously, and yet you, you basically then are costing them their salaries for that week? And so I reached out, you know, and, and, and I called the union to see what's going on here because I reached out to a few players first and they weren't sure how that worked because I wanted to know if that was part of the discussion prior to um, the season starting or, or training camps opening. And what I basically was told is, you know, they felt that this would be a way of the players holding each other accountable. That essentially it's one for all, all for one. If one of us messes up, it's going to impact all of us. And therefore, players would be even more diligent in terms of taking this seriously. And what we have found is that not all of them felt that way. And, you know, personally speaking, as you know, you have a finite career in the NFL. It's not like baseball. It's not like basketball where, you know, a bench player can play for a decade or more. Um... So you have a, a, a small window typically of, of for earnings. And now I think we're getting to a point because of the, the selfish actions of some, you're going to end up taking food off of some players and employees plates or players, I should say. And to me, that's just unfortunate and it's wrong. And and therefore, the consequences should be very high for those who do break protocols.
2: Yeah, it's you know, this is where I give the league credit for, yeah, some teams are inconvenienced, right? So the Steelers practiced, all of a sudden you've got a bye. So you really don't have a bye because you practiced all week. You didn't get to take four or five days off like a typical bye. Um, And like you said, these teams were not going to be able to play. So the league is, you know, or get paid if they didn't play. So the league, by them shifting a game to Tuesday, moving a Thursday night game to a weekend game and kind of shuffling things down and, and pushing things down the roll a little bit hoping that everybody is a little bit more strident in their behaviors um i think is a good thing cuz they you know of course look the league doesn't want to lose money because that's a tv game they're not going to get paid for um so you know we see this but now this 18th week and jim the one thing we both know though is they can push the super bowl back they can push things back they've got tampa locked down to the end of february so they've they've given themselves a little bit of wiggle room and so the fact, you know, look, I don't think this is going to be the last. Maybe it's the last outbreak. We're going to have positive tests just by the fact that we're in a pandemic. You know, people are going to get these things. But um, it's it's just insane. Look at the Chargers. The Chargers have not done anything wrong, but they had like four games impacted. They had like four games rescheduled because was,
3: of this. I think it was more than that, wasn't it? City? Might have been
2: six. It might have I been mean, six. So I mean, it's, I
3: mean, it's crazy. They're like, wait
2: a second. You know, what, what did we do?
3: And we haven't so, even hit w- winter yet, the cold no. months. So no. that's why I say I'm no longer as optimistic as I was that we're going to be able to get through this on schedule. Um, and, and that's just the reality. And, and look, I do believe that the league and the Players Association and the medical staff have done everything they can do. Um, but it comes down to the actions of, of a few. And it ends, it ends up impacting everyone for the most part. So, you know, my fingers are crossed that we go forward and there aren't any any, any more outbreaks um, like we had in Tennessee, but to think that that's going to happen is being Pollyannish, um, but I, I don't know what else to do at this point because t- truthfully speaking, I cannot keep up with all the changes that are taking place at this point.
2: And and Jim, frankly, look, if if folks in society would also handle themselves a little bit better, maybe this stuff can calm down a little bit. But that's a different argument for another day because I think we are all mentally fatigued. (laughs) Now, in terms of going from an illness to an injury, we've seen a lot of guys go down with injuries this year, a lot of superstars but Dak Prescott suffering a Joe Theismann-Alex Smith type of grotesque compound fracture. And Sunday's win over the Giants, Andy Dalton came off the bench and, and salvaged the victory after that gruesome injury. Jim, we, we, again, we've seen injuries. But to me, the reaction, right, of players from around the league and and people from, you know, just all walks of life, showing the support that they did for Dak Prescott says, even those people who don't know him view him in a certain way. And to some, it looks like they view him in a way that might be more highly regarded than the way his own team views him, at least in terms of when it comes to locking him up to being their guy for years.
3: Well, Steve, you know what they always say. It's 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 easy for us to spend someone else's money. So, right. Um, so... Against that backdrop, look, we've all said we believe that Dak was simply, during his contract negotiations with the Cowboys, holding out for what market value was at that time. And I don't begrudge him that. um, But let me say this, you know, because I've been reticent to talk about the contract situation with him, particularly coming off that injury. There were some people who were talking about it yesterday before he had ever even left the stadium to go to the hospital, which... um, was just it was heartless, you know. So, here's my thing with Dak. It, you know, I was I was supposed to be writing on a different game yesterday, and he gets hurt. I'm not watching that game, and I get a call saying, "Hey, can you write on Dak?" And I said, "What am I supposed to write? Um, I'm not going to write about the contract situation and him choosing to play on the franchise tag um, as opposed to taking an undermarket deal." And then I said, fine, I'll come up with something. And ultimately what I came up with is just the symmetry of yesterday where you see Alex Smith come back from this gruesome injury and where for the first time in 693 days, he returns to the field after suffering what was a life-threatening injury, not not just simply his leg possibly being amputated, but a life-threatening injury after 17 surgeries, absolutely. And so then to see his family sitting in the stands, you know, underneath ponchos on a soggy afternoon and giving a standing ovation as he walked out on the field, it simply made your heart flutter with all that was good and positive for someone who is... No one has a bad word to say about Alex Smith in the NFL. He is just that kind of guy. So you go from that to now Dak having this injury, and in some ways... um I mean, it was just gruesome. There's no other way to say it. And you see the tears, not only by him and his teammates and the other players, but by fans in the stands as well. Um, Up in the the
2: Jones owner suite. Absolutely. They were shedding tears.
3: What it did for me as I thought and just thought about the moment is that it reminded me that these are human beings. And as much as people jump on them about their performance – or what's happening with their fantasy teams, or whatever. At the end of the day, these are human beings. And it is about so much more than a game. And the outpouring of love and support for Dak, it reminded me of that. Not that I had forgotten, but it just brought it home. And I started looking at him as a father would his son, or as a mother would her son, and just the empathy. You know, for what he was going through and what he is going to go through. And I just felt like we all lost yesterday. Yep. Witnessing something like that. That
2: was was just so so eloquently said. And, you know, and I was one of the people who at some point was like seeing that, right? Seeing the Jones family hugging each other up and just looking mortified in the sweets, knowing that in five months, let's say they finish 4-12. and 12. Let's say they have a top 10 pick. Let's say they're in position to get Trevor Lawrence or one of these top quarterbacks. They could say we're going to let Dak walk because we can get a guy on a rookie contract. That 31000000 million we're paying him in a franchise tag, that's what we can pay a rookie under four years for the next four years. And they're is we know in this business, Jim, that's where the humanity of someone turns into the commodity of someone. And that's where I was just like, man, we're just we're just I'm just gutted. I'm sick watching this. I'm sick watching the reaction and just knowing how this game works. We've seen it to so many people. Alex Smith was in this situation. So many other players. Hey. Sorry, we got to move on. Teddy Bridgewater, sorry, got to move on.
3: Yeah, so it, it's just just, it's a, just a, a real it, it's a reminder, as I said, that, that football is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And I don't think fans will ever truly understand just how violent a game it is unless they are on a sideline during a game. I couldn't. I mean, even standing on a sideline in training camp, it's not the same. When you get into an NFL game and these people's livelihoods are on the line. The speed and the size of these players, <laughs> I mean, running into each other, it's frightening, man. It's, it's different. It's unlike anything in any sport you ever you will ever experience. And so, um, again, that's why Dax injury just brought it all home about what this is. And people will tell you, you know, sometimes a human body isn't made to, to go through what we see on an NFL field each Sunday and um, I do believe to some extent that is true because (laughs) you and I both played the game Um, you played it further than I did but man I I, I think about (laughs) what I played. you know high school Um, that's not I mean in terms of the the physicality that is nothing like what we see on a Sunday
2: it's a different ball game. I mean, Jim, oh, I can tell goodness. you this, you know, like yeah, like in high school I was big, right? I was like a two hundred five pound, two hundred ten pound linebacker. I go down to back then to the big eight, and the first time I got a pulling guard come at me and he chokes me out and he moves me like I'm a piece of furniture on sliders. I'm like, what is this? You know, and I was like, That's strength. So you take that to the next level. I mean James Harrison, they someone had a, he posted a video, he's like forty two, he's repping out four twenty five, like it's breath. Man, these dudes are so strong, some of them are pretty twisted up here too. You know, they they really feel good about laying somebody out. You know, that's a whole different thing. Okay. So, Jim, let's let's look at another team. Okay, we saw the Kansas City Chiefs take their first L to the Raiders. Great game. Raiders played their asses off. Um, Their defense showed up at the right time. But let's look at the other team that played in the Super Bowl, that because of injuries and other things, the San Francisco 49ers have not looked right. And they got their heads handed to them by the Miami Dolphins. Now, I don't know what they thought about the Dolphins, if, if but if you watch a Dolphins game, and I've watched just about everyone, they play hard, man. They do not take a playoff. They're not necessarily equipped to do what they did to the 49ers, but they're coming for you. And... I just, I mean, I'm looking at the Niners. Jimmy Garoppolo came back. He was not good. They said they had to sit him because he wasn't healthy. But Jim, um, you know this team well. I know this team well. We had John Lynch on the podcast last week. I mean, your level of concern now about this club uh, moving forward? Because I, I think right now there's some there's some smoke detectors going off in that building.
3: No, my level of concern is is extremely high at this point, and. Look, the reality is, Steve, we know it's a quarterback-driven league. So if you don't, if your quarterback isn't right, there is always the potential for struggle. That being said, one way to avoid that is if everyone else um, is on their job. And that is not the case with the 49ers. Look, what I was told about Jimmy on Sunday is that he came back quicker than he should have because he saw what happened to the 49ers the game before, and he wanted to be there for his teammates, and so he tried to gut it up and go out and play and what you saw is that he couldn't plan on that front leg and that's why you saw balls sailing on him and his accuracy was not what it what it was because the 49ers will tell you when he's right he'll stand in the pocket he'll take the, the 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 rush coming and he'll make the throw that wasn't the case on sunday so kyle shanahan took him out and replaced him after halftime but the bigger bigger issue for the 49ers offensively at least is their offensive line has not been playing well. It's been very inconsistent, and the expectation coming into the year is that that was going to be a strong suit for them. Everyone felt, for the most part, when I say everyone, I mean everyone that I talked to felt that Trent Williams was going to be an upgrade over Joe Staley.
2: Right, exactly. Trent
3: Trent has struggled at times. Yep. They also got a new right guard. Um, and so it's not that he has not played well. The problem is, as one coach has said to me, When one player messes up on the offensive line, it affects all of them. So you have to be working in cohesion. That isn't happening. Then you go to the other side of the ball and you say, okay, well, this defense was one of the best, if not arguably the best in the league last season. And yet the problem is it's not healthy. And its key playmakers are not there. Uh, Bosa isn't there. Nick Bosa isn't there. He was a guy that many thought would pursue defensive player of the year this year. D. Ford hasn't been there. Richard Sherman hasn't been there. Other guys in the secondary haven't been there. And so, whereas last year they could play complementary football, offense, balancing defense, each side feeding off each other, special teams, et cetera, that isn't happening this year. And the fear, at least from my standpoint right now, is the schedule is unforgiving. You've got, think about these next few weeks or more. You've got the Rams. Then the Patriots, then the Seahawks, then the Packers, who you know are going to want some payback for what happened last year when these teams met, both in the regular season and in the playoffs. After that, you've got the Saints, then the Rams again, then the Buffalo Bills. That's a tough stretch for a team that's beat up and hurting like the 49ers are. And I just don't know that you can flip a switch and change that in part because of health issues. Yeah, and they're already in a hole. I mean, we see
2: Seattle is unbeaten. The Rams, 4-1. and one, And you, you talk about the offensive line. Jim, you hear me say it, your offensive line coach, you say it. If they're playing on a thread, then they're fine. You do not have to have a pro bowler on your offensive line, but if you are playing Correct. on that thread, then you are functioning well. Well, one of their offensive linemen also is George Kittle, and he's been in and out of the lineup. And because of some of the issues they've had at receiver, they're pushing him out more on routes. So, again, their protections are down, and that's something Kyle Kyle's going to be able to scheme some stuff up. I mean, he's going to see pretty soon, but if they just keep on playing these games of Jenga with personnel on the offense, I, don't, I, I think they just might fall back in too far of a hole when we're seeing some of these other teams in the NFC where they're headed. Um, we're going to talk about one of those teams that no one's talking about that's climbing into the playoff picture a little bit later. But, Jim, you talked about the Packers coming in and them wanting some get-back. Coming up next, we have got one of their star players. Jim, let's talk to Aaron Jones, who has been toting the rock. All right, Jim, we are now joined. By Aaron, who's up in Green Bay and doing it, running back Aaron Jones. Aaron, thanks so much for joining Jim and I at the Huddling Flow
4: podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. All
3: right, all right Aaron. Look, we, we, we believe in transparency here, and we believe in, in being honest. So I'm going to own this. Coming into this season, I thought the Packers were going to be one of those teams that kind of took a step back. And I'm not saying that they weren't going to be good, that they were going to take a step back from 13 and three. You guys have not only not taken a step back, you have taken a step forward, two steps. What's been the key, and what's going on in Green Bay right now that you guys are on this record pace in terms of scoring?
4: Uh, we just all have uh, bought in. I mean, we, we this is our all of our on, on offense and defense. Um, Second year in defense, this is their third year um, in the system. So we just all feel com- comfortable playing in the in, in the system. We know what we're doing, so we're able to go out there and play fast. And also just from um, being so close last year, you know, a lot of guys got that experience, and um, it kind of left, left us with an ugly taste in our mouth. So, you know, we want to go out there and, uh, and make up for that and bring the Super Bowl back to Titletown.
2: All right, Aaron, because it's such, it's such a rarity where someone just goes completely bananas. You know, week two against the Lions, you had like 220 combined yards, rushing, receiving, three touchdowns. When you are rocking like that, like individually, it means your whole team is rocking. But when you're feeling it like that, what is it like?
4: Uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, playing at a high level, getting out there, just uh, finding a group, groove, getting to a flow and a uh, – just being comfortable, you know, being able to get in the rhythm. It's, it's fun being at the top of your game and um, kind of just looking there. And it's nothing that anybody can do about it, you know. That's I feel like that's uh, one of the coolest things. And um, I hope to have weeks like that every week, so I can I can feel like that.
3: <laughs> I'm sure. How you quickly? Do. <laughs> how quickly do you know it's going to be one of those type days?
4: Um right away or it could be and i know it could be worked into as well like uh within the first couple carries, i can kind of sense it or if i'm kind of just able to get in a groove you've
3: what been about, a lot of grooves lately man. yeah
4: you've been in a lot of grooves bro your offense has been
2: has been hitting it so tell me this we hear we hear so much about coach lafleur and 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 what he's done to, to balance the offense to to get you guys on the same page but Give us an example because, you know, a lot of times that's just a general statement. He's got us on the same page. He's got the buy-in. But what has he done to make you guys believe in what he is doing with you guys schematically and he, as your leader?
4: Well, we've seen it work last year. And, you know, uh, so we had this off season and uh, he, took, he took the time and him and A-Rod did a really great job of uh, breaking down the uh, offense for all of us guys uh, through Zoom because we were be not able to be there in person because of, you know, all the COVID and stuff going on. But um, through Zoom, we really had a chance to break down the offense and really understand it uh, for what, it, what for everything it's worth and um, just understand the power of like pl- certain plays, like um, where it's supposed to hit or uh, behind what double team. And so, uh, like I said, when you get out there, you can just go play a lot faster and not have to think.
3: You know, Aaron, I'm curious. A lot of people made a, a fuss this offseason about the team drafting Jordan Love. But as I watched it, in the second round, they draft a running back when they have one who just led the league in rushing touchdowns and put up tremendous numbers. And I'm not asking you to get in any sort of controversy, but what kind of motivation was that for you or how much motivation did that add coming into this year, knowing you were going into a contract year, that you see them use a second round pick on someone at your position?
4: Well, it definitely caught me a little off guard. Um, uh, but you know, I kind of know it's it's the business of of the game and it's what comes with it. So, um, just go out there and control what I could control. Uh, you know, and it's I I got to remember this guy didn't. Choose, choose where he got drafted. They drafted him, so uh, welcome him with open arms and help him grow as a player as well. Because uh, that's what somebody did for me when I was coming in.
3: Was there any kind of conversation with Matt or Brian about what's going on here? Uh, no, sir. No, sir. It wasn't.
2: Got to get your thoughts on Dak Prescott when you saw that, and then you saw like the reaction around the league of all the players. Man, you know, just what was what was going through your head?
4: uh you never know in, in, any given place so um you got to go out there and uh leave it all out there and uh, prayers for dak you know that's that's very unfortunate and um hopefully he makes a speedy recovery and bounces back quickly and um, back to stuff you know because you, you never want to see that happen to any athlete and, um so it just hopefully he bounces back and be good i i think he will be he'll be good
3: you know, Aaron, I, I look at your journey going back to high school, only recruited by two major colleges. Um, you know, you come into the NFL, people look at you as sort of a situational guy, and you are now one of the best running backs in the NFL. How do you describe that journey?
4: Uh, Definitely felt like a long one. Um, kind of up until last year, um, it's... Kind of, uh, uh, kind of, you know, I, thought I like it was here, but I wasn't, um, getting as much playing time as I wanted to. And then, Coach Lafleur came in; he really gave me the opportunity, and that's when I felt like I was able to showcase my ability. And, um, people kind of, kind of, uh, could start seeing kind of, running back I was, and um, I feel like it was the nothing I wasn't capable of before. I was just given more of an opportunity um, now, so so, everything feels me from being under recruited to uh, from out of high school to being a fifth round pick and um, 18 guys were taken before me all of that all of that fuels me um, And you know so, so I'm just going to continue to go, go harder um, and, and let that uh, chip on the shoulder uh, grow
3: you know Frank Gore once would tell me he could name every running back that was drafted before him the year he came out can you can you name every running back that was taken before you the year you came out?
4: I think I can get pretty close.
3: <laughs> you wanna give it a try?
4: Uh yes sir. Uh I'll go um uh, uh, McCaffrey, Cook, uh Mixon, Kamara, uh Marlon Mack, who else, Marlon Mack, Jamal Williams, Joe Williams.
3: Frank had said not only did he know every one of those players he could identify them, but his goal was to one, play longer than any of them, and to be better statistically than any of them. Did you have that sort of mindset or goal after your draft? Uh,
4: You know, definitely, I mean, these are some of the guys you've been competing with uh, your whole life, you know, coming up through the high school ranks. Uh, you recruit, you're recruit, you competing for those stars with those guys. And then in college, uh, you know, you wake up after the game and you check the stats and those are the guys that you're competing with then again and uh, you're competing with them to get drafted and um, for a position. And then you get to the league and you're competing. So definitely, I mean, it's, uh, it's been nonstop uh, motivation for me and just going to continue to push me uh, to
3: – Be be at the top of my my game. It may sound crazy, Aaron, for a guy who led the league in rushing touchdowns last year to be underrated or under recognized. Do you feel that way about yourself?
4: Uh, Definitely. I mean, I was at home um, when the when the Pro Bowl was going on. You know, Um, didn't really get any votes for All Pro selection different a different amount of things like that
2: and I also want to follow with you guys being in Green Bay I mean we see here from afar how nationally that is like a COVID hotspot like hospitals being overrun in Wisconsin and things like that and we see what's happening with the Titans and and some players on other teams testing positive what are you guys doing especially during this bye week right you can't leave your city that's part of the NFL protocol on your bye week you've got to stay there what are you guys doing to make sure that you stay safe?
4: Really, just staying by ourselves, you know, staying in your own house, creating your own little bubble. Uh, it's kind of something you have to do around here, you know. Like what you said, it's uh, it's the COVID hotspot here is the number one place right now. So we got to be careful. Everything we do, you know, when we when we go into the facility, you know, other other players have families, so you got to watch what you. When you're outside of the facility, because it can you can come back in and it can affect somebody, and it can affect their families as well. So, uh, people have children at home as well and things like that. So,
3: Aaron, speaking of family, how has becoming a dad impacted you?
4: Well, uh, it's just made me more hungry. You know, I have a I have a mouth to feed now. It's not just me. I have somebody uh, who's dependent on me to uh, bring home the food and put. Uh, the diaper, put, put the diapers on the table, different things like that, you know, so it's just made me more hungry uh, and it's uh, uh, made me grow up as well, uh, made me a little bit more mature and uh, and I like to say, give me a, a little superpowers, you know, you, look, you get a little dad powers you get a little uh, father <laughs> strength
3: <laughs> Wait, wait, hold on Aaron, everything I know about you from everyone I've talked to, talks about how mature you are and what a good dude you are so, I'm I'm just trying to imagine Aaron now more mature I've yet to hear anybody say you weren't mature so what does that look like to say more mature what does that mean
4: uh you know just I to me I like when I would get home I just used to like to play the video game and really just chill out now I'm it's just more focused on my son and um reading him books and doing whatever so I, would, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know if I could say I'm more mature, but it just made me more focused on him. I don't know yeah. if that's a better way, way to put it. <laughs>
3: but that that I remember for me, that first time changing that diaper, it it was not real easy, man, <laughs> and not real cool. Particularly when it was, you know, number two in there. Were you, did you, did you take to it right away? It took me a minute.
4: Oh, uh, no, I definitely took to it right away. Um... The hardest one was the first one, you know, the, the black sticky one that comes out. Um, <laughs> the the, the iron, the iron bomb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that that was the hardest one. <laughs> luckily, we had some good nurses came over there and helped me. And
2: then, and then it, then it, became, then it became, then it became second nature. Um, well, tell me this, you know, speaking of Texas, we know you know you uh you know you have off season place in El Paso. And I thought one of the more remarkable things, I saw you do an interview um, shortly after the big mall shooting there, uh, I I believe it was last year. And when that happened, you know, at a place that you had frequented, you know, at, at a shopping mall and stuff like that, what did that do? You talk about becoming more mature. What did that help do to raise your awareness about, be it gun violence or crime or or? you know, some of the stuff that we're talking about today in terms of social justice.
4: Um, Just, uh, you know, what kind of happened there was, I feel like it was um, racially pushed, you know, um, in the sense where what happened, you know, you cannot pass on wanting to um, harm Hispanics. um, So I I just, it's helped me like grow in a sense of, hey this is this is not okay everybody doesn't have the the knowledge or the common sense that you would think to hey love love everyone as if they're your brother or sister no matter what color we are you know um just because i was born different color than you doesn't mean we should be treated d- differently or we should uh we should work different jobs or th- things like that you know you, you none of us are in control of how we were born you know if you think about that so um, and that's, that's kind of one thing that stuck out to me. So, um, uh, just becoming a bigger person and, um, uh, just learning to love everyone. And, um, uh, you know, cause it can be hard to love some people, you know, who don't have the same views as you, but you still have to sometimes be the bigger person and, um, learning to kind of just love everybody.
3: What has it been like this year, Aaron, when, where we see not just in the NFL, but across all of professional sports where we see athletes now taking a stand and using their platforms um, relative to just even two, three years ago where guys were afraid. I mean, being honest, there were guys who were afraid to, to speak out on anything. To see where this has gone, what do you think of that and and, and how much change and how much power do you think athletes really have to make change?
4: Uh, I I think it's huge, you know. um, Like you said before, I feel like people or athletes worse were kinda of scared to speak out or step up and um but now you you know team and unity is powerful um when when a group of guys step up, not just one person but um but it take all it takes is one person, you know, to start the charge but um it's more powerful when it's a when when it's a group of guys and you guys all come together and uh and I like to say kudos to the NFL too for uh and, and all the other sports leagues as well for backing their players and uh, allowing us to have a voice in you know because it can easily shut down so in the first to uh, allowing us to have a voice as well and let it be known you know because kids kids are uh, they see athletes or celebrities like like some like stars superheroes you know like that and so they they want to they want to listen to what we have to say or things like that and and so that's why some I feel like that's why some of the kids are influenced by the, what athletes say or actors or movie stars, you know, because those are some of the guys they want to be like growing up. And so they're hearing it from them and, and they can get influenced by it.
2: The one thing that really comes out of that interview is, is the humility for this guy. He's like, hey, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and handle my business and control what I can control. We hear that cliche all the time but he knows who's drafted in front of him you know he he knows what the landscape is but he also knows he's in an offense that's hanging 38 on people a game
3: look Aaron Jones is someone I really wanted to talk to because um, seeing him from afar seeing the, the boyish passion that he plays with on that field the intensity um, and seeing the numbers that he's putting up I still say and believe that he still is not getting his due respect in terms of just how talented he really is. Uh, That was the quietest 19 rushing touchdowns last year, I think, that I may have ever heard of, you know? Um, And what I found so interesting about him in terms of his character, not just football character, but his character, is to be able to say, you know what, I'm coming off a career year, I'm going into a contract year, and they use a second round pick on someone at my position, and rather than be upset about that or take it out on that guy I'm gonna embrace him and I'm gonna teach him everything I can and help him to be better because that's just who he is so Aaron Jones is the kinda guy that you root for and I know they tell us in this business we're not supposed to root for anyone Well, I'm sorry there are certain people who are just good people and you do root for them you you want them to have success and Aaron Jones is one of those individuals
2: well, Jim, you know, I, that's the perfect segue because the next guy we're going to talk about, if you tell me there's anybody who doesn't root for him or roots against him, I'm going to call you a liar, and that's Teddy Bridgewater. Hmm. Hello, people. Guess what? The Carolina Panthers have ripped off three straight victories without Christian McCaffrey. They are now 3-2, and two, the same record as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to lead the NFC South. The Bucs right now have the head-to-head against them because they beat them a little while ago but we have better start paying attention to what Matt Rule is doing down there in Charlotte. Mike Davis comes in for Christian McCaffrey and all of a sudden he's busting caps. He's crushing people. They've got wide receivers Robbie Anderson. How happy is he, how happy is he to be out of jail? I mean from the Jets, I mean in Carolina. He's killing it. All their wide receivers are doing it. But I spoke to Matt real Sunday, Jim, and he said, everything is working because of Teddy. I said, have you had to call the game any differently? He's like, no, Steve, we're actually more aggressive with our play calling because we know Teddy's not going to make a mistake. He's not going to be, when you hear about aggressive, Philip River style, Why? Well, let me try to fit this ball in here. Or let me try to push this down the field when it's not there. I knew that would get you, Jim. Uh, <laughs> let me, so... And he said, "So when teams are playing rules, when teams are playing off of them because they got such speedy receivers, Teddy's checking to a run, and Mike Davis is bending face mask. If teams play man to man against them, like what Atlanta did, they can go over the top. But even more dangerous is they've got all these catch and run guys. And so he said, it's all because of Teddy.' So I'm just kind of like, because I watched some of that game against the Falcons. Yeah, the Falcons are bad, and and the Panthers have not played great teams." But they got something, they've got something going there. This is the team we thought was going to be picking first overall. That's not going to happen, Jim. They may get to 500-plus.
3: Oh, it's definitely possible. Look, um, yes, you're right. Teddy is one of those guys you root for. I mean, talk about, again, gruesome injuries, ugly injuries. The one that he had that some thought he might never play again, you know, the knee injury that he had. And for him to go nearly three full years between starts – You know um, after signing with New Orleans uh, to come back now to get this free agent deal with Carolina to play the way that he's playing um, it's just awesome because he's just such a good dude you know and I think that we forgot just how good a player he actually is when he was in Minnesota he was a young buck but you could see the potential you know he was playing well but you could see the potential that he would get much better And then it's like we forgot that after the injury of just how talented he was. And now you see his body starting to fill out. And you see him having a better understanding of the NFL from spending time in New Orleans with Sean Payton and Drew Brees and playing there. Um, I just, you're right. But let me say this. One guy I want to give credit to in terms of what Carolina is doing is someone no one's going to think about. And that's Marty Herney, the GM. Right, right. People forget every coach that Marty Herney has hired to this point has taken the team to the Super Bowl. And that was John Fox first, Ron Rivera second, and Matt Rule. I can tell you, as you know, Steve, before getting this job, there were a lot of people in the NFL and elsewhere who used to talk about just how talented a coach he is. And for Marty Herney to be able to lure him to Carolina, um... I think the future is incredibly bright for the Panthers with him there. And so I give Marty a lot of credit because there were folks who felt he was going to be run out after the chain changes last year. And I think Marty Herney, once again, a former sports writer, by the way, has shown, right. shown just how good he is at what he does. And what's great?
2: Matt Rule was supposed to go interview someplace else, wasn't he, Jim? And Marty wasn't letting him out of the building with the Giants. And Marty would not let him out of the building. He's like, you get whatever you want. And look, the hiring of Joe Brady, um, you know, the former LSU offensive coordinator who got Joey Burrow playing so well, who was with Sean Payton and Teddy Bridgewater with the Saints. Um, that's a stroke of genius. He, you're starting to hear his name already, like, okay, this is someone, these, these teams are going to be tracking for a head coach as well. But look, everyone which talk, is, everyone's which talking is about Which is
3: another discussion in and of itself. Which is another discussion. We can get into um, that later.
2: We're going to get into that in just a minute. But you also, I mean, Chin, the linebacker, the rookie they draft, he might be the defensive rookie of the year. No one's talking yeah. about this guy. So, you know, that's, that's, an intriguing uh, development there you gotta keep an eye on them but you know what Matt Rule is also a coach killer they beat the Falcons Jam and it finally happened
3: yeah the well, captain
2: look. the captain Merck fell on you know it, it fell on Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov who were so tight you know I, I think when Arthur Blank decided to make the decision he knew both had to go because they worked so well together for so many years uh, we knew it was coming if, if they didn't win And so no surprises here.
3: No. You know, I I actually talked to Thomas uh, the day before that game, and I had said to him, what would it take for Arthur to make a change during the season? And he said he didn't know, but he said the one thing that Arthur is always sensitive to is he doesn't like to be embarrassed. And so when you look at the Falcons 0-5 for the first time since, I think, 97, if I'm not mistaken. Right,
2: just Dan Reeves.
3: yeah, um, and not only that, but to become the first team in league history to blow fourth-quarter leads of at least 15 points in back-to-back weeks, um, the ineptness on the, the onside kick against Dallas, I think all of that just got to a point where, as, you know, I know that Arthur Blank said today it's all about wins and losses, but I think it goes a little deeper than that. It's not just wins and losses, but it's also how you lose. And I think that Arthur just had enough. And now it's going to be very interesting to see where he goes from here because, you know, you and I have talked about this and I know they inserted uh, Raheem Morris as the interim coach, who, by the way, his defense didn't play worse squad or hasn't played worse squad this year. But my fear for Raheem, who some have mentioned is possibly getting in that pipeline to become a head coach again after his experience in Tampa, is that if this team does not play better for him, this could be a detriment to him that's going it. forward. That's it. And, and look, the reality is that oftentimes when an interim coach comes in, that's, that's when we, meaning people of color, black folk, get the job, and things don't turn around, and then it's held against us. Well, see, that's why he, we never hired him in the first place, whatever, which is so ridiculous. And I, I, I can only hope that that is not what happens with Raheem here. Because the Falcons just have not looked like a cohesive unit this year, and who knows? Maybe they make some moves before the trade deadline and get rid of some guys, which means it gets even worse. But it's it's a bad situation right now, you know. And I I don't know what else you can say. Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn were good men, um, well liked and respected, but as you know, it's a bottom line business in the NFL.
2: Yeah, and look, they just. It, it just stopped working. And, you know, the one thing, I cover that team well. I know Arthur Blank well. And you talk about people you cheer for. I, I, he's a fantastic human being. And what he's done for that city of Atlanta, what he's done for people of color in that city, um, is beyond noteworthy and should be applauded. But the one place where diversity has not struck home with Arthur is with the leadership of his football team. Hmm. He's interviewed people like Jim Caldwell and Todd Bowles and Terrell Austin and Leslie Frazier, Mike Singletary, Ron Rivera, but he ended up hiring Jim Mora and Mike Smith and Bobby Petrino and Dan Quinn. And look, it worked. Everything except for Bobby worked. You know, And Thomas Dimitrov was a very good general manager. So it's worked. So I'm just I'm just interested to see, especially, again, knowing this man, how committed he is. I mean, he helped build the Civil Rights Museum right down there in centennial park um if you see somebody worthy if he's really going to give them a legitimate opportunity um it, it's it's just it's something jim of course we're definitely going to be tracking
3: yeah you know steve look i always say this and i and i stand by this you don't hire someone just based on color and and if arthur no. blank believes that there is someone um a, a white person who is the best fit for that job so be it um But my point is you cannot stand back and keep telling us that you believe in in diversity and equality and yet you can never find anyone other than a white person who is capable of doing a job. And so for me, again, with the Falcons, with the Texans, and with any other team that comes open, I'm less concerned at this moment about the head coaching position than I am about the GM position because ultimately the GM has the owner's ear on who to hire and makes that recommendation. And the GM is at the table typically when that decision is made. And oftentimes it's the last voice that the owner hears. And if we're not in the room or we're not at the table at that time, then I think our chances of starting to address the lack of diversity among head coaches is not going to get better. So for me personally, I'm less interested in talking about the head coaching candidates as who are these teams going to hire to run their football operations. That to me is central. And don't tell me, again, there's nobody out there because we can give you names of people who have done it and done it successfully. Okay. So whether, whether it's Reggie McKenzie, whether it's Jerry Reese, whether it's Martin Mayhew, go back and look at Detroit's drafts under under Mayhew and some of the talent that he brought in, that contributed to success that that organization did have. Um, we can continue down that line. There, there are people are guys in the building. The,
2: the Ray Farmers, ran Carthons, they were in that building. They were on Dimitrov's staff with Les Snead and Billy Devaney and a lot of talented people, Jim. So I mean, there are there, they are out there, and you know, we gave them the green book. On the podcast last week like you said we're trying to save you money don't hire the search firms but oh, and what where did the they texans do since the, the texans, texans turned around
3: and hired a search firm
2: the same one that they've used the same one that's i'm not going to say what i want to say because i'm going to get in trouble but the same one that other teams have used and continue to use and continue Man, to go through the cycle of hiring firing coaches
3: we ain't worried about getting in trouble on here steve we're worried <laughs> about telling the truth and all i can tell you is that owners again we know the definition of insanity. And they, some of these teams are right back doing the same old well, thing. That's, that's why they are who they are. That's why exactly. They are who they are. And, and, and
2: real quick, you said something about the Falcons may not get they could maybe don't get rid of assets. Right now, let's say they aren't tracked to be top five pick. That may They're a top ten pick. If they're continuing that direction, I'm sorry. They've got to consider trading a Julio Jones or someone like that to get assets to help their new staff compile talent because I think this is going to be a pretty significant strip down with whoever comes in there so it may sound crazy but if somebody like the Packers comes calling for Julio Jones or someone like that at some point in the season you gotta listen you gotta listen to guts and people you gotta
3: listen is for Arthur Blank to say publicly that he is non-committal on Matt Ryan that's all I needed to hear it's to it. know it's nobody it. is safe Nobody, Nobody is safe.
2: Nobody should be. Nobody should yeah. be, Jim. Nobody yeah. should be safe. All right. Well, that is it for this edition of the Huddle and Flow podcast. We've got some really good things in store coming up for you. You know, we talked, Jim, recently to filmmaker James Lopez, who's made some great movies like Girls Trip, The Photograph. He's starting a biopic on Doug Williams. Um, you know, so again, we're gonna cover a lot of bases. We're going to hit a lot of home runs. We're not just covering bases. We're going to hit some home runs to some of the people we have lined up for you. Um, he was so
3: impressive, Steve. I think, I think folks are really going to enjoy that. Just really in terms to enjoy of it. understanding how filmmaking make- gets done, and particularly as it relates to you know, the African-American community. Um, I thought he was phenomenal, inspirational, and I, I learned a lot. I think, I think our listeners will as well. That's
2: right. So when he does it, so when he does a movie on the Hut on Flow podcast, you know we just have to make sure that we've got the master. So you know he'll tell us about all this.
3: All right, JT, do your thing to get us out of here. You know, all we ask is that you listen, you subscribe, leave a review, leave a comment, so we can give you more of what you're fucking for. What you're fucking for all credit to uh george clinton on that but um yeah no in all seriousness folks let us know um because we want to know what you enjoy what you don't like uh because ultimately at the end of the day this is your podcast not ours so help us bring you what you want and um subscribe write a review and let us know
2: All right, for Jim Trotter, for our producer, Thomas Warren, otherwise known as the Howard U Mob, we are out.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses.